Real stories, reliable information, the latest technology and news. Welcome to the Plastic Surgery Hub podcast, connecting people with practitioners. Lovely. So I'm here today with Dr. Rohit Kumar. Um, Dr. Kumar is a cosmetic plastic surgeon who's uh, from the Sydney Cosmetic Sanctuary, which is based in Leichhardt in Sydney. Um, so welcome. Thanks, Trish. How are you? Um, I'm great. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Fantastic. How can I help today? Now, we, I thought we'd just have a, a bit of a chat about, um, I've been getting a, um, well, actually, there's a lot of inquiry after people have had a breast augmentation, like they might not look like they are, or they're not happy oh, yeah. with them, or they're having a bit of anxiety. With so I thought I might just have a bit of a chat with you today about the post-breast augmentation procedure and what people can expect. Sure. So sure. A, an augment, like a, a standard augmentation, take about, what, roughly an hour to do? Would that be right? Yeah, a, sta- a standard sort of augmentation where you actually don't have to adjust the actual breast very much. So relatively symmetrical breasts um, and you're putting an implant in, whether over or under the muscle or as a dual plane technique, um, which is certainly my preference, uh, should take between 60 to 90 minutes. All right, so, so um, we've had our surgery, we go back into recovery. Can you, can you take it from there? Like, Tell us what we can okay. expect. All right. So usually what would happen, certainly, well, this, I'll, I'll explain what sort of happens with, with my patients, and I would think that that's very similar to what most patients would go through. Um, so what would happen is after the, stri- the surgery, pretty much straight after the surgery, you will be placed into some garments. Now, you may have some tape on your breasts straight after surgery, and the garments may be, be, may be placed before you go home, or you may wake up from your anesthetic with the garment in place. Very, very rarely, um, some surgeons prefer to put the garment a a few days after the actual operation. But in any situation, within a few days of surgery, you will definitely be in your breast garment. Now, this garment is something that is measured before surgery uh, Mm -hmm. so that the size is a relatively good fit for you because it's a little bit hard to work out exactly what that fit is going to be once the implants are in. So what we like and uh, what patients should feel is that the garment should be holding your new breasts snugly uh, and quite firmly, about the equivalent of maybe wearing a T-shirt that's two or three sizes too small for you. That sort of level of firmness, certainly nothing more than that, and it definitely should not be uncomfortable. You wear this garment then virtually 24-7 um, for the next six weeks in my practice, a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, depending on your surgeon's personal preference. But for six weeks, you would be wearing this garment, uh, and you may buy two so that you can take one off, uh, and then when you're washing it, you know, have a second one on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some practices will certainly provide you with this as well uh, as part of your fees. Um, you can wear a sports bra as well, uh, as long as it fits properly and there's no wiring. So any, any sort of support does not need you to have any wiring in it uh, over this period of time. After six weeks, once everything's settled, then you know you can go back to getting into a bra of your of your choice. Okay, so, so you, you do you do that for so basically it has to be the what you put on is a compression garment to kind of keep everything tight and in place and help to form that's right. the new that's breast. Right. So, so what the, what the garment does? There's a variety of things the garment does. One, it actually gives you a little bit of peace of mind, holds everything where it is, and patients feel very comfortable knowing that they've got some sort of extra support. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really important thing. The other things that the garments do is, while they're providing support, they're holding everything where they are, 
and they're also helping remove edema and swelling, which again helps the healing process and helps things heal more quickly. So having a garment on not only helps from a position, placement, uh, and, and holding the implants where they are to, to a degree, it helps with the edema, certainly helps with wound healing overall, um, and, and makes everything feel comfortable so the pain uh, post-surgery is, is negligible as well. Okay, so we're going to wake up. We'll have um, the compression garment on, and, and um, yep. I know it's different for everyone, but um, you're going to feel like you're being run over by a bus or really tight. Or look, most that's that's actually really uh, it's a very good question because uh, it is very different for different patients. Now, techniques can also make a little bit of difference here. Certainly, breast implants, if they're being placed just above the muscle, tend to possibly hurt a little bit less. Once you go under the muscle, you're actually, you know, sort of cutting the muscle a little bit. You're going through the muscle. Those tend to be a little bit more sore, but not not significantly more sore. But you know, it's you are tearing muscle as opposed to not having done that or in the in the sort of above muscle technique. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's a little bit more sore. But the way I sort of describe it and explain it to my patients is: imagine you've done a hundred push-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that sort of level of sort of soreness around that area that, that you're going to feel. It's not excruciatingly painful. It's not sort of, you know, ow, oh, this is really sore when I move my arms. It's more just like you've done a lot of, you've done a you know, crazy day's worth of exercise. And so when you move and flex or do things around it, there's a little bit of ongoing sort of, you can feel it and there's a bit of pain there. For the vast majority of patients, you should be able to have Panadol, Panadine, maybe some Nurofen. And that should hold any pain that you've got in check. Certainly by 24 to 48 hours, that should be almost gone, if, if not gone completely. Um, and most of my patients are up and around and, and shopping or doing whatever they like the, the day after surgery. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So um, then we have our compression garment on for six weeks. But, but during that mm-hmm. time, um, like I've heard patients say things like they've experienced sharp pains and all that so that that's going to happen isn't it like all this stuff's going to happen that yes so there's there's a lot of sort of niggles if you like um, in that first six eight weeks that may just happen once may happen occasionally and and you can rest assured that that's sort of in keeping most of these tend to happen when the implant is put underneath the the muscle Mm -hmm. uh, and not so much when it's pushed over the muscle now think about it this way say if you are up against a wall and you're doing a stretch Mm -hmm. and you're sort of stretching your calves after sort of you know uh, a minute or two minutes or whatever you've done the stretch it's things are getting all stretched out uh, and you feel it you sort of then stand up straight again and the, and the sort of stretchiness is gone and, and your pain settles down. Um, if you have put an implant underneath your pec muscle, then that muscle is under stretch, simply under stretch by that new implant. Sorry, it cut out a little bit then. Can you, initial can you, period. Yep. yep. Okay. Sorry, can you say that again? Just um, you, so, under, under the muscle? Right, so when you put an, a breast implant underneath the muscle, mm-hmm. that pec muscle is now having to deal with stretch. And that is unusual to where it used to be and how it used to lie. Now, unlike you know doing a stretch on your calves against a wall where you can stop and you can straighten out, you can't do that with the pec muscle itself. The implant is there all the time. 
So you ha it has to get used to the pressure and everything pushing it and it's stretching out. And some patients may feel a little bit of like a, a, a spasming of the muscle or a bit of a niggling or sometimes an occasional little sharp stab of pain. And that's just the muscle coming into terms with the implant underneath it and getting used to it. Over a period of time, it will stretch to accommodate and things will get back to normal. Okay. So after you've had your surgery, like I know you've got to wear your compression gun all the time, but when can you actually shower? Like how soon after can you shower? Look, it depends on the dressing type that you have had applied to you. Mm -hmm. But um, all dressings that I apply, for example, are all waterproof. And I have, I'm absolutely fine with my patient showering that day or the day after without any problems whatsoever. So you should be able to have a shower, uh, get those areas wet. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend going into the swimming pool and staying there for a period of time and looking mm -hmm. at like that in the early stages but um, you know having a shower and keeping everything clean you should be able to do that immediately all right and what about time off work like uh, it, it's such a contentious issue some people um, like they need a couple of days some people a week two weeks like is there a standard yeah. how long someone should have off work again I, I think it, it you have to individualize it and tailor it to the patient because almost always it depends on the type of work that you do mm -hmm. if you're going to be someone that's going to be in an office and been doing and you sort of been doing um, work on book working or computers etc most patients will be able to get back to this within a week of their surgery um, if your work involves you doing more sort of manual labor or lifting things or moving things around um, you may need a week to, to 10 days before you can get back to doing that a little bit more comfortably. The important rule here, certainly for me, is that heavy lifting and lifting things more than five kilograms should wait for at least six weeks before you actually go ahead and do that. Because while the implant is there and while the pec muscle, and because I do the vast majority of my implants are underneath the muscle in a dual plane technique, mm -hmm. I don't, while they're sort of settling in and, 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 and being sort of healed into their position, you don't want the muscle over the top to be squeezing too much and then potentially putting them out of place. So you take it gently. You take, your body will be your best guide. Your body will give you a very good idea of if you're doing too much because it'll get sore or you'll be, you'll be exhausted or it'll be stiff. Um, but if you take it easy for the first six weeks, no heavy lifting of more than five kilos in that time period, um, you're going to be fine. Certainly going back to work, provided you're not doing that type of things, you'll go stir crazy, I think, within a week and staying at home. So I think most people want to get home or get, get to work by about two or three days. Sure. So with, with the hospital stays, I know that... Um like people, some people are in overnight, some people are just a day thing. Is there, like, do you just stock standard, keep people in for the day and then they can go home that night or? Yeah, I think the vast majority of breast augmentation is a day-only procedure now, mm -hmm. um, unless for some specific reason you've had a revision or a redo and you've had to put some drains in okay. and it was a technically a little bit more difficult um, or there was something that was a little bit more untoward. I think for a standard breast augmentation, you should always plan to be in and out on the same day. All right. And uh, what about a breast lift? That might be a little bit longer. Uh, no, same thing. Same thing. But all my breast lift patients stay in for the same day um, and uh, go home with a breast lift or a breast lift with a breast augmentation. Yeah, they should certainly be a day-only procedure. Oh, wow. If, um, if there's, yeah, they slightly take a little bit longer, but... Surprisingly, when you do a breast lift with uh, breast augmentation, for example, mm -hmm. there is very little difference in pain, if anything. And if anything, the, the breast lift component, most patients don't even comment on that. Mm -hmm. and, if, and the only comment is the sort of the stretch that the pec muscles have done from the implant. So mm -hmm. um, 
a breast lift, a breast uh, augmentation and lift, a breast augmentation, these are all day procedures. Okay, so what about when it comes to breast reduction? Is that also the same? Well, with breast reduction, it's a little bit different in that most patients who have a breast reduction tend to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, they all still wear a garment. They all still wear a garment for six weeks. Um, and they all sort of manage their actual wounds for six weeks because there's bigger cuts and more wounds that we have to deal with mm-hmm. in a breast reduction patient. But um, usually the patient stays overnight. There's a drain in on either side of the breast. Uh, and very often those drains will come out that very next day, within 24 hours. Um, and then the garment essentially is all they have to wear. The interesting thing with a, with a breast reduction is that most patients sort of will mention um, that they've had very little to no pain, uh, which is really quite interesting. I, I certainly see patients who have a tummy tuck and a breast reduction at the same time, and they will talk about the tummy being a little bit more sore, but almost not even noticing that they've had any operations done on the breast. Wow. For me, it was the total opposite. The breast reduction for me was like bloody awful. The, the wow. worst surgery ever. It's just amazing. <laughs> um, usually, because see, when, when you do the breast, you really should be operating on fat and, mm-hmm. and skin. Mm-hmm. And fat and skin, and you really shouldn't be going deeper than that. You're not going into the muscle. You're not going into mm. the other areas. And given that that is what is actually happening, it is uh, tends to not be something too sore um, for for the vast majority of patients. Okay, all right. So so what about um, so we've come home now. So what about sorry, are you still there? Yeah, great. What about yeah, yeah, um, I'm here. what about after surgery? When can when the cut when in most cases I know everybody's different and you need to ask your surgeon this anyway. But yep. when can your surgeon expect to see you, speak to you or or follow up with you for the first time? All right. So again, you're right, it does depend on the actual um on the actual surgeon. But in most situations after surgery you'll be seen at approximately one week after surgery, between one and two weeks. Um, most dressings, particularly if you've used something like a Prineo dressing, will stay intact anywhere between four and six weeks. So you'll be seen at two weeks, then at six, uh, six weeks, and then usually three months and six months afterwards for the vast majority of follow-ups. But obviously, if there's been a problem, if there's been an infection, if the wound is not healing as well, or if you're just wanting to see your surgeon more often, then your surgeon should arrange that with you. All right. All right. So... All right, the, the next question I want to ask you is, uh, I'm asked all the time, what about with regards to driving? Like when, after your surgery, how soon can you start driving? Look, I think it's, again, it will be depending on how well you're healing. For the vast majority of patients, within a week to 10 days, you should be able to drive, sometimes even earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you do need to take into account that the muscles, particularly in a reduction, or sorry, in a um augmentation your muscles might be more sore so you might have a little bit less control of this wheel when you're turning it Um, and you may depending on the procedures you've had you may need to put a small pillow uh, in front of your seat belt so that it doesn't actually rub on the breast themselves but for the vast majority of patients within a week you should be back to driving okay great and this is a a really not a curious one but this is different everyone too i know it's different with uh, above the muscle and below the muscle but um what about exercise and and let's talk about the different levels of exercise here as Mm. well because i'm i don't mean just walking but what about for those girls it's a it's a a very common question actually Mm -hmm. 
Um, and and my, my answer is very straightforward. If you were an athlete and you went out and you were playing sports and you tore a muscle, you'd be out of action for six weeks, right, for the vast majority of athletes. And the same applies. You haven't torn a muscle. You've had a surgeon cut them, but the injury is essentially the same. So walking, getting around, doing aerobic exercise, start that a day or two after surgery, that's not a problem. Just in terms of gentle walking or, or brisk walking as you and you build up to it. Muscle, uh, exercises that actually physically involve the muscle, so involving the pec muscle. Um, so that may mean things like swimming or, you know, physically grasping and pulling things or lifting weights. They should wait six weeks, just like any other athlete that might have torn those muscles. Uh, and after that, you should slowly build up after that point. Okay, so um, last week I, I spoke to a, a young lady who um, had a breast augmentation about three years ago and mm -hmm. what's actually happened now, she's presented with a bit of a double bubble and her breasts have kind mm -hmm. of gone a little bit um, pointed out towards the side. And they've Basically, she was really happy with them at first and then something happened that they kind of just popped out of their place yeah. Or is this common? Like, is, is it shouldn't be? It shouldn't be common. Um, I think it. Look, there's a lot of factors, and having not seen her, it's it's very difficult to comment. Sure. But the the reality is that a double bubble can be caused by a variety of things. Whether the implant's too big for the pocket that's created, um, whether the pocket's too big, um, whether the positioning above or below the muscle was not appropriate for the size of implant. Um, what's happened to the breast crease? Uh, have has have you done anything, or have you been you know say you're a bodybuilder and you've been using your pecs a lot more than you normally would? Um, there's a lot of sort of factors that come into into play when when you look at the development of a double bubble. Um, so without seeing the individual sort of circumstances, what we can say is that usually a double bubble forms when the implant is too big for the capsule for the pocket that's been created. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're actually getting sort of a distortion of shape or uh, it's sort of cousin, if you like, the waterfall effect is that if the implant is placed in a position and then the breast falls over the top of that over time, which can also have sort of a double bump, bump sort of shape over the time as well. Um, often it's, 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 it's an issue in terms of marrying the size of implant with the pocket and the location of the pocket. If you get those three things right and that they're appropriate for the appropriate patient, then your double bubble risk should be a lot lower than if you've got one of those things out of kilter. All right. And if someone does get a double bubble, it's just kind of, as far as the surgeon's concerned, is it just kind of bad luck? You've got to get it done, got to get it fixed? Or is it just, um, it, it, could it be, can it be, um, like what I'm trying to say here is whose fault was it? <laughs> It's hard to say. It yeah. is very, very hard to say. Look, uh, it's often, as I said, sometimes it's a decision based on the implant. Sometimes it is surgically related in the type of surgery you've done. Mm -hmm. I certainly see a lot of patients who've been operated overseas who are seeing me for double bubbles. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, that is obviously an indication of not only surgical misadventure, mm -hmm. but it's also the, probably that you weren't guided appropriately to choose the implant that best suited you, and you've gone for an implant that's way too big for what you actually you would have suited your frame. Right. So, um, so often it is, uh, you know, it's, it, it behooves upon the surgeon to actually uh, 
sort of help you choose an implant that suits your frame mm-hmm. rather than just go, yep, fine, we'll put the big one in because the big ones, and certainly once you go above 400, 420 cc, the potential of developing something else tends to get a little bit higher. So if your frame can support it, if your breast dimension support it, then that's not a problem. But mm-hmm. if you're a young petite person and you're asking for a 500 cc implant, then it really is important for the surgeon to discuss with you your higher chance of possibly developing a double bubble, but also maybe guide you away from that because it's yeah it's probably not the most proportional implant. Yeah. Um, and also, um, it, it, it sort of makes sense to see the type of operating and dissecting you would need to do to sort of cope with that larger implant. And if you don't have the skills to do that, then yes, I think a double bubble is going to be on the cards. Yeah, sure. All right, so, so what about for the... Um like you see it happen all the time on on all the closed facebook groups that we have and and people Mm -hmm. say oh my god look one's big one's higher than the other and irregular all that can you explain to us a little bit about dropping and fluffing and what that actually means because people go into a bit of a meltdown when um, they don't need to i've heard a few of these um yeah you're right i've heard a few of these terms uh, along the way look i just use the term breast dropping the the reality is that when you actually do the implant right at the very beginning um, you set the implants high because you know that they're going to fall with gravity. You know that you want to position them to where they're going to go once gravity kicks in, once the pocket stretches out, uh, and once the muscle stretches out and accommodates the implants. So if you put them exactly where you would expect them to be when you wake up and for the rest of your life, they'll just go lower than that point uh, and they'll change. So what you need to do is when you create the pocket, you put them a little bit higher, you set them up so that you know that over the next few weeks to months, they're going to settle down to their proper location. Now, if you look at most people's images on their websites, the before and after image, realistically, they should be commenting because the images are almost always at least six months apart. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the breast pre-surgery, during surgery, oops, sorry, they're all very, very different. Sorry, just cut out a bit then. So when you look at the breast uh, pre-surgery... So when you look at at the breast pre-surgery, then Mm -hmm. during, Mm -hmm. and then certainly after, and after not just a month after, but then six months after, they're very, very different. Initially, after surgery, everything's stretched. They've almost got a bit of a sheen to them. They're sitting a little bit higher. And as everything starts to accommodate the new implants, all of that will sort of gradually settling in, uh, will sort of settle in. Um, And so your breasts don't actually achieve their true shape and form and position for up to six months after surgery. Okay, so that was my next question. So by the time you've had six months after surgery, that's kind of pretty much going to be your natural shape and then you know, gravity, they may drop a little bit over the time and that sort of thing, but that's going to be your basic shape six months into surgery. That's right. That's okay. exactly right. So a good six months before you have an idea of exactly what you're going to look like. So anytime someone looks at their breast and goes, oh, they don't look right, or my left is sitting higher than the, than the right, or, or something like that, you can't actually sort of really make a call. And there's no rule that says that they both have to fall at the exact same rate. So mm-hmm. one may settle down earlier than the other, uh, and it's just a matter of time, and then you see what they're like at about six months. Okay, great. All right, another thing I want to ask you is, and I know this is different for everyone yet again as well, but mm-hmm. what about scarring? Like, um, you, you, I know it's it's not, not very common for people to have the implant incision under the arm anymore in Australia. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, for a variety of reasons. Yep. I mean, I tell my patients, you don't fix the engine in your car by coming in from the roof. 
you actually come in from the garage and mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of yeah that's sort of the analogy for breast augmentation to create the pocket that's going to be appropriate you come in from the breast crease because that gives you the best view and it's also the less contaminated while you can hide uh, a breast crease incision wearing a bra or bikini, if you've got it in your armpit, which is also a very sort of dirty, contaminated area to go and put your implant through, uh, not only is it difficult to create the pocket, it's it's a scar that doesn't tend to form as well as it does in the breast crease, and you've got it in an area that's going to be significantly more visible if you wear a strapless dress or something out. Um, you'll see the armpit scars, you won't see the breast crease scars. Mm, okay. All right. Now, is it so for those women that have had a breast augmentation, mm-hmm. um, having a bit of a, a panic thing? Oh my God, they're not they're not okay. The, the best course of advice is to, of course, contact your surgeon and you know make that your first That's port right. of call. First port of call. Contact your surgeon. See what they say. See what it's like. Um, give it time. Let them all settle in. And if you're still having, if you're still not happy, if you're not happy with the answers, if you're not happy at six months as to what they are, then by all means get a second opinion. Okay. So say for example, if someone isn't happy and they've gone down, when you say get a second opinion, does that mean you may have to get someone else to do a revision for you? Quite possibly. Okay. And you quite wouldn't possibly. look. You wouldn't look at that before six months. No, I think most oh. surgeons wouldn't touch um, a breast that was still in sort of healing phase, which is in the first six months, unless there was something you know, really dramatically wrong with it. Yep. Um, you would wait six months if there are a few little things that just hopefully will settle with the tincture of time. Yep. And do you have anything, and I won't keep you much longer because I know mm-hmm. you're really, really busy and I thank yes. you so much for your time here. But one last question, what mm-hmm. do you like to use or what do you suggest your people use for prevention of scars? Um, look, there's no, there's no hard and fast rule about this. There are mm-hmm. silicon creams and silicon tapes out there. Uh, there are studies that say X works and Y works, but they're all about the same. So um, what I tell my patients is to use something familiar and something that they're comfortable with, mm-hmm. preferably something with vitamin E, mm-hmm. because that certainly has shown to have some improvements. And it's not necessarily what you use, but the action of massaging that makes yeah. a difference. That's so what I thought. From Mm. Yeah, so, you know, six weeks onwards, start massaging it really hard, not sort of a gentle massage. Really try and keep breaking down the scar that's forming mm-hmm. uh, and, and use what you feel comfortable with and you feel that, you know, has had either a good result with you or a friend or um, you, you believe in. And that can be a silicon-based cream like Stratoderm or it can be just straightforward Vaseline with vitamin E. Awesome. Oh, va- oh, really, I wouldn't use Vaseline on my body. Sort of lean then. I, don't I wouldn't use that either. <laughs> it works I well. It well, I don't, I don't like anything that's got petroleum in it, which is the, the Vaseline. Oh, fair enough. The petroleum, you know, like one of these yeah, organic, cool. you know, Byron Bay hippies. vitamin E. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, use something with vitamin E and you're fine. Break an aloe vera plant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, okay. any, anything else that you can add? That you think we've pretty much covered no, everything. We've we? covered most things, actually. All right, lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure, Trish. No worries at all. So, ladies, if you're up for a breast augmentation um, and you like what Dr. Rohit's had to say, um, you can either talk to your surgeon about it, or if you'd like to go and see him, he's, as I said before, at Sydney Cosmetic Sanctuary based in Leichhardt, New South Wales. And if you want to find a bit more or want to have a bit of a chat, just feel free to drop us an email at info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au. So thank you so much, Dr. Kumar. Again, pleasure. No worries at all. I'll let you get back to your afternoon operations. Cheers. Thanks a lot. The Plastic Surgery Hub podcast. 
Connecting people with practitioners. For more information, visit plasticsurgeryhub.com.au or email info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au. The material provided in this podcast is general information and does not constitute medical advice, nor is it a substitute for consultation and advice from your own practitioner. It should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical illness. Any medical or surgical decision should be made in consultation with your own doctor or practitioner and not based on the materials provided in this podcast.